0: Okay, so if you've been with us uh, over the last couple of weeks, we started this series about three weeks ago uh, called Inside Out. This series is loosely based uh, on the, the movie, if any of you have seen that movie. Um, we kind of loosely based it on that. But really what we're doing is diving into uh, the Psalms. Because out of the Psalms comes uh, a lot of emotions. And a lot of emotions that we don't necessarily talk about in Christian circles. Okay, so we, we talk about things like uh, the first week we looked at despair. Uh, the second week we looked at jealousy, and now this week we're going to look at anger. And for a lot of us, there's this idea that we take these these maybe darker emotions or these emotions that we know don't uh, necessarily uh, represent well the kingdom of God or so we think. I'll say it that way. Let me say it that way. So we think these emotions don't really accurately portray the Lord, and so we want to do that. So we don't know what to do with some of these emotions, and at times, our tendency or our temptation is to suppress them. We've been told for, for a long time that we are, what, what we're supposed to do with anger is push it down, get rid of it. You're not supposed to be angry Uh, And so that's what we tend to do, and that's our temptation. But I think that that the Word of God gives us a very different look at these emotions if we take the time uh, to listen and study it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at what God's perspective is on anger. So if you are a person who struggles with anger, you might want to pay attention. Uh, If you are a person who doesn't struggle with anger, I'd still invite you to pay attention because I think uh, God will speak to you this morning. Here's the first point I want to make. Emotions have been given to us by God. Right? These emotions that we experience from despair, jealousy, anger, any one of these emotions, they're given to us by God. God is our creator. If you go back to the beginning of the word, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, where God creates man, he says, let us make man in our likeness and our image. We are stamped with the fingerprints of God. The emotions that we feel are the emotions that God feels, and it runs all throughout the scripture. The problem is, though, that these emotions uh, can get evil at times. What we do with them in our sin nature, we can take them to some very dark places. But in and of themselves, they are not intrinsically wrong or evil. And I wanted to start there with that point. Um, this morning, we're going to look very closely at anger. That's, that's the emotion we, we have on our, on our plate today. Anger is emotion that, as I said, most of us are taught to suppress it, uh, to, to push it down. And the reason for that is because if any of you have lived with an angry person, if any of you have ever lived with an angry person, you know the hurt and the brokenness that can come from that anger. If you yourself are an angry person, you know the hurt that that can cause to the relationships um, that you have. Anger has been the cause for a lot of damage. There are a lot of people that are in prisons today because they did not control their anger. In a moment of anger and rage, they acted out and did something that put them in jail for a long time. So anger is something that we need to deal with. But my question for us is, is anger always ugly? Is anger always wrong? And that's what we're going to dig into the scriptures. Uh, and find out. We're going to look at God's perspective. To kind of lighten us up here, because anger is kind of a heavy thing. I can even sense that as I'm talking to you. Some of you have experienced that. You've been through that. Some of you might struggle with that, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't really want to listen to this sermon. But So I'm going to lighten the mood. We, I told you that we've based this kind of on the Inside Out movie, and so I want to show you a clip from that movie that deals with anger. If you haven't seen that movie, uh, the movie is... Uh, the, the storyline is about a young girl named Riley. She's 12 years old. Her family picks up and moves from her home where she feels real comfortable and knows a lot of people in Minnesota and ends up in San Francisco, California, which is a very different uh, place, of course, if you've ever been to those two different places. Uh, so she's going through a lot of struggle as she moves into a new school, a new house. Everything's new to her. And so this, the, the movie goes inside of her mind and looks at her emotions that are controlling her. And so what we want to do is look at this clip uh, that exposes how anger can be triggered. So go ahead, Curtis, you can launch that. You can relate to that uh, clip if you have ever uh, tried to give a, a young child broccoli. Uh, I have been there before. It's funny, though, as we've watched, the last week was on broccoli, too. So something the writers of this movie must have something against broccoli because they keep pointing that out, that, that broccoli causes anger. I don't think that it does, but... Um, But there you go. So what I want to do first with us, though, is is create a framework for us. Give us a framework for what God says about anger. And I think it will be very helpful for us as we move forward. So as we dive in uh, to the scriptures here, God, oh, well, the first statement, God is slow to become angry. I want to give you a passage that reveals this. Um, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Says this. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, which is the Hebrew word for God. It's the Hebrew name for God. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. God is slow to become angry. Now, this is what we would call, scholars would call, special revelation. All right. We wouldn't otherwise know this about God, but God tells us about tells us about himself here. He's revealing something to us about his nature. He's telling Moses, listen, I am slow to become angry, and I am full of compassion and love. This is a really important point, and some of you need to hear this this morning. Some of you have been struggling with something in your life for so long. There's some sin there something, some habit that you have that you wish you could get rid of, and you start to wonder after a long time, is God angry about this? Is God angry with me because of this sin or whatever it may be? And I want to tell you, you need to take a look at this passage and understand that God is slow to become angry. He also tells us that we're to reflect the image of God and we should be slow to become angry. If you do your research on this passage and dig deeper, you go back two chapters, you'll understand why God is telling Moses this. Because just two chapters earlier, God has delivered the nation of Israel. God has pulled them out of slavery. They were in slavery to the Egyptians. God rescues them in a miraculous fashion. They go through the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through. They're headed to the promised land. God said, I have a place for you to go. I'm going to give you this land, and it's going to be flowing with everything that you need. And as they're headed through the desert on their way there, their wilderness, they start to think, well, this is slow. We're not getting there fast enough. And they start to become uncomfortable with God or they feel like he's not doing enough. And so at one point they, f- they decide in Exodus chapter 32, well, let's take some gold, let's melt it down, and let's fashion a cow. And then once we're done with that, we're going to worship the cow. Now think about the insanity of what I just told you. If I were to make a golden image or some kind of object and put it up here and say, all right, everybody, we're going to worship this you would lynch me or at least you'd stop listening and walk out because it's insane but that's what the nation of israel did they said all right god i know we know that you delivered us but forget about you we're going to start worshiping this little cow that we made out of gold and so if i were in god's shoes i would be very angry but god tells moses listen i am slow to become angry he clearly he was angry but he says I'm slow to become angry, and I'm full of mercy and compassion. So that's the first part of understanding anger and put it in a framework is God is slow to become angry. But he does get angry. God does get angry. give you a couple passages here. Psalm 69, verse 24. This is David writing. David says, Pour out your fury on them and consume them with your burning anger. So David who was a man after God's own heart, says here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, consume them with your burning anger. So he's pointing out God's anger. A better picture for us, I think, comes in 1 Kings chapter 11 of God's anger. So 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Let me give you a little background on Solomon. Solomon was David's son. He inherited the kingdom of Israel. This was God's chosen people. He came to God and and God said to him, what is it that you want? What is it that I can give you? And Solomon, rather than asking for riches or anything else, makes this awesome statement and says, God, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God blesses him with wisdom. And and Solomon has a a great reign for a while. But God also warned Solomon and said, do not marry the, the women from the other nations around you. Do not take wise from them, because if you do, you will be compromised and you will start to worship other gods. Solomon did not listen, and in his disobedience, he did exactly what God told him not to do. And Solomon began to worship false gods. And as he began to worship false gods, so did the nation of Israel. And ultimately, what happened to Solomon, or what happened to the nation of Israel as a result of Solomon's sin, was the collapse of the kingdom. Solomon's son would follow in his sinful choices, and the kingdom would be ripped apart and divided because of Solomon's sin. The Lord was very angry with Solomon because he knew the consequences of the decisions that Solomon was making. So God gets angry, and he gets angry when we make decisions that impact other people in a way that will pull them away from God. So let's jump out of the Old Testament. We'll come into the New Testament. Here for a second. Ephesians chapter 4. God actually commands us to be angry. Have you ever heard that before? God actually tells us we should be angry. Now in different translations, Ephesians chapter 4 reads this way. In your anger do not sin. It's assuming that you are going to be angry. But then what do you do with that? The actual closer in the Greek is what the ESV gives us, the English Standard Version. It says, be angry. Paul's telling you, be angry. But in your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I probably have some of you at a point where you're thinking, but wait a second here. Wait a second. Doesn't God tell us that we're not supposed to be angry? Or doesn't God tell us that we're supposed to pr- suppress that anger? I know that's what some of you are thinking, and some of you are even thinking about James chapter 1 right now because you're really smart. And I knew that you were going to think that, so I put it up here on the screen. James chapter 1 tells us human anger does not produce the uh, the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So isn't that telling us we shouldn't be angry? Let's go further. Paul, the same guy who wrote Ephesians, says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. So Paul, in this context, he's talking about pushing off the sinful nature that we are all born with. Getting rid of the sinful nature, the sinful habits that we have in our lives. And he's saying, get rid of anger. So do I have anybody confused now? What are we supposed to do with this anger? Well, I think God gives us... uh, I think God gives us some answers, and that's what we're going to dive into in understanding, all right, well, when am I supposed to be angry? When am I not supposed to be angry? And how does this whole thing come together, and what in the world is God telling us that we should do? Uh, There was a book written called Cry of the Soul that uh, Adam has referenced a couple times. It's really influenced this uh, series, and it's going to influence some of my thoughts here uh, for you today. So some of the thoughts that I have for you come out of that book. Some are mine. It kind of blend together. It's kind of hard to, to give you all the breakdown of that. So I'm just saying that up front so that you don't read uh, that book and then come back and say, hey, you stole their stuff. Uh, it's okay to steal their stuff if you tell them up front that you're stealing their stuff. So that's what I'm doing. So some of this comes from them. Some of it's from me. But uh, here's the breakdown on this. What do we do with this anger and how do we understand it? Unrighteous anger So this is what we're going to deal with, because I believe what Scripture is telling us is there's two different types of anger. There's two different types of anger, and you have to understand which one is going on in your heart to really understand how to handle it. So we'll deal with the negative side first, unrighteous anger. This is the one where James says human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, right? Unrighteous anger is a dark energy that demands for the self a more tolerable world now. A dark energy that demands for self. It's all about me. It's what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Think about the little toddler there that didn't want to eat her broccoli, but she wanted her dessert. It's what I want, when I want it, how I want it. She wants a more tolerable world now. Instead of waiting for God's redemption according to his divine design and timing. So that's what unrighteous anger looks like. This unrighteous anger is the norm. I would say that this is what most of us experience. It's a normal thing that we experience. There's a selfishness about it. It's because I want what I want when I want it. I'll give you an example of this. I think uh, it's amazing what happens to us when we uh, get in traffic and we start driving. I think there's a lot of anger that comes out. On the road. I mean, we hear about road rage all the time. But just picture for a second that you are driving uh, south on 222, headed towards Lancaster, and you get right about Lancaster Bible College, and you know that you're running right on the edge of time to get to that appointment that you need to be at. And right as you get to about Lancaster Bible College, everything comes to a standstill, especially if you're in that right lane trying to get onto Route 30. And all of a sudden, you start to think, why couldn't the state? Make this two lanes going on to Route 30 instead of one. And you start to think about how it's their fault. Or if there's that fender bender up there that slowed everything down, and you, you start to make assumptions like, well, I, I bet they were texting while they were driving. That's why they ran into the back of that person. All right. When we get into those situations, we're not thinking about others. We're thinking about ourselves and what we want when we want it and how we want it. I'll give you a, a kind of... Um, a funny example that came out of of a traffic experience that I had. Uh, I was uh, driving north on 897. I was headed to Weaver Store, so I made the left onto 272. And I'm just about to turn uh, right into Weaver Store. And as I do that, as I'm just about to turn in there, there was a a guy that was coming the other direction. And I saw, he was driving a Geo Tracker. I saw that he was not going to stop. Even though that he needed to stop, he was not going to stop. He had his turn signal on and he starts to turn in front of me. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but um, like in that moment everything started to slow down for me. It became like slow motion because I thought, man, I'm. it's going to be close whether or not I hit this guy or not. And I managed to stop the car. And as he's cutting in front of me, he's cutting me off, I notice that there's a woman sitting next to him in the geo tracker, and she is berating him. Like, she's just pointing at him. She's yelling at him. Her mouth is wide open. I, just have, I can still have this picture in my mind. And she is angry at him. And as he drives by me, he actually flips me off. And I'm thinking, why are you doing that? Like, why are you mad at me? Like, what did I do? I, I am in the right here. You are clearly in the wrong. Right, So I thought, like for a second, I thought, I should follow this guy into his parking space and ask him what I did wrong because I don't understand. And then I had this moment where I think it was divine, it was probably the Holy Spirit, and I just thought, you know what, if I lived with a woman like that, I would probably be angry too. So... (laughs) I don't know what their story was. I don't know what happened there. I don't know why he was so angry, but clearly he wasn't angry with me. There was something going on way back in the backstory that I did not know about. And so that was uh, some anger that I ran into on the road. But you know this. Like if you're a parent right, and your kids inconvenience you, your kids inconvenience you at a time where you just want to relax you sit down, I've had these moments where I sit down, uh, the coffee's still hot, which is rare for a parent with small kids. Coffee's still hot, you sit down and you just want to watch whatever it is that you want to watch. And all of a sudden in the kitchen there's this sound and there's spilling and there's, they need you for something. And you're like, oh, are you serious? And you come out and you tend to be more angry because why? Because your comfort, what you wanted, has been infringed upon. It's pushing in on what you want and how you want it. Think about this for you teenagers. I was thinking about an example that would fit for you guys. And I remember when I was a teenager, I always wanted to push the limits. I always thought I was ready for things before I was actually ready for things. So, like, I would tell my parents, like, when I was 15, you know, I can handle watching a rated R movie. That's no big deal. And my parents would say, no, you're not. You know, you're not ready. Whatever it would be. Um, I think of, like, cell phones now because we have some kids, our oldest one's getting close to the age, he's not there yet, but he's getting close to the age where he's going to start asking for a cell phone. And I, I think about this. Now, I, my parents didn't have to deal with this because back when I was a teenager, cell phones were like bricks, so we didn't want to carry one of those around. But, um, but for you guys, you know, they're, they're obviously, they're, they're cool and they have a lot of advantages. But your parents might say to you, well, you're not quite ready for that. Or we, or we don't feel like you are. And what comes out in you is probably some unrighteous anger saying, I want what I want, and when I want it, and how I want it. And so you fight for something that you think you should have, although God has given your parents the authority over you, and you should be falling into line and saying, yeah, all right, I, I can wait for that. Because honestly, those months and years will go by really fast, and eventually you can buy your own cell phone. So the the point that I'm trying to make, though, is that we need to understand that unrighteous anger really comes out of a place of of. Desiring something, and, and whatever that something is, you have to fill in the blank there, but desiring something, and when we don't get it, we get angry about it. And that, that could be a, any number of things. It could even be something like respect. Like we feel like we deserve respect, and we're, not, we're getting disrespected, so we get angry. It could be comfort. It could be money. It could be status, position. There's a lot of things that it could be. Uh, and this anger comes out in us. Unrighteous anger attempts to control the choices of others. Especially in regard to our attempt to possess what we believe is essential to our well-being, so when we get angry, we get angry. We're trying to control the the way that others respond to us, and in our anger, if we're angry enough, they might back off or they might give us what we want. All right. So in our anger, we try to control things. I'll give you a gauge for this. I I wanted to give you something that you could maybe gauge. Uh, All right. When is when is anger appropriate? When is it? inappropriate. Uh, think about the things that you possess, you own, all right, your possessions. When one of those possessions is, is broken, uh, and, and it's broken by accident, someone accidentally breaks it. I think of this as a, as a parent, you know, this happens with my kids. They'll scratch the car Uh, Maybe a cell phone will get dropped and the glass will break. Maybe the carpet will get stained. And it's a legitimate accident. Like it's not something that, you know, they were being destructive or something like that. But it's a legitimate accident and something gets broken. How do you respond to that? What happens? And one of the things that I thought about as as I was putting this together was that that when I am kingdom-minded... In other words, when my mind and my eyes are fixed on Jesus and my focus is on the kingdom of God, I know that those things, those possessions that I have, I know that Jesus tells us that moth and rust will destroy them. You don't get to take them with you. Eventually, they're going to break. They're going to fall apart. And so do I really want to make a big deal about something that gets broken or shame someone when something is, is scratched, broken, or messed up in some way? And when my mind is focused on the kingdom of God, I can be more gracious because I know that I don't take those things with me. If any of you have had, um, if any of you have lived with an angry husband or an angry father, you know this, this thing about anger all too well, especially this thing about control. Because what happens to a family when the, when the head of the household or the dominating figure in the household is angry all the time? What happens to the family is the rest of the family begins to walk on eggshells because they never want to make dad angry. It's always this, there's this low-grade boil in the room and that you never, want to, you never want to tick dad off because if he gets angry, then it's all headed downhill. And what happens in, in those homes is that it leads to, to broken relationships because the control becomes so much more important than the relationship. And it leads to shattered lives. And a lot of pain. And I just want to tell you, I want to take a minute and and be pastoral if I could. If you're that person, whether man or woman, if anger is something you really struggle with and control is overwhelming you, I want to tell you this morning there is hope for you. There is hope in Jesus that you can have healing in that. That's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. But you don't have to be that person that has control over everybody else and forces them to make decisions by your anger or your outbursts. So I just want to tell you that there is hope and I hope that you feel that this morning and that you don't walk out of here feeling beat up or like punished in some way because that's not at all the intention but God's grace can cover over that if you're willing to admit it and then deal with it and confess it. All right so let's move into righteous anger. Righteous anger is this this is a definition I got from Tim Keller. He is a uh, He's a pastor up in New York, and he says this energy aroused in defense of something good and released at something evil. Energy aroused in defense of something good and released against something evil. This anger right here, righteous anger, this is the anger of God. It's directed towards injustice and oppression, it's directed towards pride and the worship of idols. We are supposed to get angry. As Christians, we're supposed to get angry, but we're supposed to get angry at the things that make God angry. The injustice and oppression of others, is that's something that should make us angry. If we don't get angry at those things, we should be asking the question, why am I not angry enough about this? I'll share an illustration with you, and then, then we'll, I'll break it down a little more. But uh, many years ago, many, many years ago, I was at a, a concert at Hershey Park Stadium, And I went to see a band uh, called Bush, which I realized dates me some, and uh, the music of the 90s was not nearly as good as the music of the 70s, I suppose, because uh, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking my parents, you know, my parents listened to like Led Zeppelin and Leonard Skinner, that kind of thing, and I was thinking... You know, when I was a teenager, I definitely knew who Led Zeppelin was and Leonard Skinner, and I would listen to that. Uh, and now that I'm getting to that age where my parents were, and I'm thinking, my kids would never listen to the alternative rock music that I listen to. So I guess, I guess I'm siding with you older folks that the music of the 70s was better than the 90s, and maybe I'll get some pushback from my generation. But anyway, I was at a Bush concert, and uh, we were somewhat back from the stage. We were on the field, so there was people all around us, but we were not up like really close, and in that day you used to get in the mosh pit. We were not in that, in that place. Um, so it was not a place that I expected somebody to be crowd surfing, right, because we were pretty far back, and we were, all our attention was fixed up on the stage, but some guy must have got this idea that it would be a great idea to crowd surf up to the front. Well, that's a great idea if everybody has eyes in the back of their head, but not everybody has that. So we can't see whether, when you're coming, you know, and if we're not there to catch you, uh, you 're going down, and that 's exactly what happened. The, the guy that was in front of us he had his arm in a sling, whether his arm was broken or he uh, he dislocated i don 't know, but it was in a sling, clearly injured and the the, the the man comes flying up over top of us and hits the guy in the back that was in front of us and falls to the ground in that moment. This was another one of those moments where everything can slow down, and I can remember it clearly. This guy turns around, and the rage that he had, his face, I mean, it's completely red. Veins are popping out on his neck and on his forehead. He was ticked. And he turns around and looks at this guy, and he just starts kicking him mercilessly. He's kicking him in the stomach. He's kicking him in the face. I mean, by the time he was done, this guy's nose was bleeding. His ears were bleeding. There was cuts on his head. And I'm watching this, and it took me a few seconds to realize what was happening. But all of a sudden, inside of me, there welled up this anger towards him because this was unjust what had happened to him was sorry that that happened but you don't need to pulverize a guy because that happened so in that moment I stepped forward I pushed him off of him thankfully there were some other guys there around that kind of started to calm him down so it didn't turn into world war three but I pick up the guy and he's just bleeding from his face and he says I'm sorry and he just wanders off into the crowd But there was some righteous anger because there was something happening there that was clearly out of bounds. It was clearly not just. And that's what I believe God tells us to be angry at. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So Romans 12, God gives us the clearance here. He says, hate what is evil. Hate is a strong word. I remember growing up, my mom used to tell me, don't use that word, it's too strong. Well, it's in the Bible, all right, and we're supposed to hate what is evil. Now, unfortunately, what I was talking about was probably my brother or something like that, when my mom would say, ah, you shouldn't use that word, it's too strong a word, and she was right. But we're supposed to hate what is evil. So think about it. in our world today, there's this thing called human sex trafficking that's going on. We should hate that. That's evil, That's the oppression of young girls selling them into slavery as if they're a product. We should be angry at that. Thankfully, there are organizations that have gotten angry enough to start fighting it, like International Justice Mission. They're going after the people that are doing this because they need to be brought to justice. Just like God, he wants to bring to justice and will eventually bring to justice all that is unjust. We should be angry at things like pornography because of the slavery that it's entrapped so many men and women in. That should anger us. The women that get trapped in that as a career, that should anger us. They're even being brought into that. Abortion is another one that we should be angry at. That's the killing of innocent life. That should make us angry angry. That should arouse our anger because God hates it because killing of innocent life is evil and he tells us we should hate what is evil. Now, if you're here this morning and you've gone through an abortion, if you've had an abortion, listen to me clearly. Look up here. God does not hate you. God does not hate you. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and his desire is that all people would come to repentance So Jesus went to the cross to die for that sin, just like he went to the cross to die for my sins. But the act of abortion, the act of killing innocent lives, is evil and God hates it. So we need to be aware of what God hates and how does he get anger, or how does he respond? Well, there's anger there. So what I want to do is I want to dive into the scriptures with you. We're going to look at one passage and look at anger that comes out, and this is this is David, again, writing Psalm 109 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles there in the pew. You can grab those, grab one of those. If you don't own one, uh, please take that one with you and read it. That's our gift to you. Um, but we're going to go through Psalm 109. And I'm going to work through the first 21 verses here with you. So Psalm 109, verse 1. This is again David writing. David was the king of Israel. Now, one thing I will mention up front is we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. We don't know if David was uh, on the run from King Saul at that time, or if he was actually in leadership and at the at the helm at this point. So we don't know that. But we'll start in verse one. O God, whom I praise, do not stand silent and aloof. While the wicked slander me and tell lies about me, they surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. So David is he's dealing with something here. He feels oppressed. He feels like people are, are coming against him for no reason. There's something happening that he's, he's dealing with here. Uh, that whoever's oppressing him is slandering his name, they're telling lies about him, and they're fighting against him for no reason. He's saying, I'm innocent, God. I haven't done anything, and they're coming against me. So verse 4. Verse 4 is critical to this whole passage. I love them. I love them, but but they destroy, or they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. This verse brought a lot of conviction into my life this week. Jesus comes along in the book of Matthew and he says that we are supposed to love our enemies and pray for them. That's what David's doing. He's clearly angry. He clearly feels oppressed. He clearly feels uh, hurt. And he's angry. But at the same time he expresses, I love them. And I am praying for them. But now he's going to go off. So here we go. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. Verse verse 6. Now, here in the New Living Translation in verse 6, there's an asterisk in my Bible, and it says, they say, and then if you go down to the bottom of the page, it says, the Hebrew lacks they say. As I did the research this week, uh, no other translation includes they say. Now, I didn't have time to call the translators from the New Living Translation. Those guys are smarter than I am, but I have no idea why they included this here, because Uh, the Hebrew doesn't say it. If you go back and read the original, it doesn't say it. So what I would tell you is that what David is about to say is not what they are saying about him, it's what he is saying about them. And even if you translate it the other way, if you jump ahead to verse 20, it says, May those curses become the Lord's punishment for my accusers who speak evil of me. So uh, what he's about to say is clearly directed towards his enemies. So I just want to make that clear. All right, so he says, send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty and count his prayers as as sins. That's a, a monumental thing for David to say. He's saying, so as he prays to you, count it as a sin against him. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. David is saying, kill him. That's what David's saying. Wipe him out. Take him off the earth. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. So not only are their homes ruined, but he wants them chased off. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. So now not only is he wishing curses on the man who is hindering him or persecuting him, now he's saying kill his children. May his family name be blotted out in the next generation. May the Lord never forget the sins of his father. May his mother's sins never be erased from the record. So now not only are we going future generation, we're going past generation and saying, don't even forget the sins that his father and mother committed. David is pouring it on here. He is really upset. May the Lord always remember these sins and may his name disappear from human memory. For he refused, and here's why. Verse 16 tells us why he's so angry for he refused all kindness to others. So this person was not kind to anyone. He persecuted the poor and needy. The last people the, the last people on earth that need a kick in the face while they're down is the poor and the needy. And God says that he is close to those that are brokenhearted, but look at the next passage. He hounded the brokenhearted to death. Whoever this person was beat up on those who were in less position than themselves. They hindered. The, I mean, think about it. Have you ever been brokenhearted? hearted? you ever lost something that you, was really close to you? Maybe a family member. Maybe a, a dream that you had. Something. Maybe there was a collapse financially that you went through. Whatever that, that was that caused you to be brokenhearted, the last thing that you need is someone to come and ridicule you or mock you or put you down. And that's what this person was doing. says, he hounded the brokenhearted to the point of death. He loved to curse others. Now you curse him. I love that passage there, just the the way he says it. He loved to curse others. Now you curse him, God. You curse him. He never blessed others. Now don't bless him. Don't you do it. Don't bless him. I know you, God. I know you're in the business of blessing those who don't deserve it, but don't do it in this case. That's what he's saying. Cursing is as as natural to him as clothing or the water he drinks or the food or the rich food he eats. Now may his curses return and cling to him like clothing, and may they be tied around him like a belt. May those curses become the Lord's punishment for my accusers, plural, so there's more than one, who speak evil of me. And then David turns it around and looks at himself. Verse 21, but deal with me, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your own reputation, rescue me, because you are so faithful and good. So all of David's anger... All this anger that's coming out in this prayer, and I I would mention to you, you know, this is this. It's it's interesting to me that this would be written for public worship. So you imagine coming together and worshiping this way. That's an interesting thing, a thought to have. But I believe when David penned this, he was alone, and there was something that was going on in his heart, and it was clear that these accusers were coming around him. But what is his motivation? Is it about his name? It's actually about God's name. He says, for the sake of your own reputation. So for the sake of your reputation, God, destroy this man because the work this man is doing is counter to what you would do. It's counter to the work that you have set us here for. So I would say this. God, God has designed and blessed anger in order to energize our passion to destroy sin. And this is the one that I deal with as I, as I was going through this, because I'm not a person who's given to anger. If you've spent a lot of time around me, just not something that I'm given to. It doesn't, It's not one of the struggles I have. I have plenty of struggles, but anger t- tends not to be one of them. But one of the things I wrestle with is a person who's not given to anger, I wonder if I don't get angry enough. I, I wonder if I don't get angry enough at the things that would grieve God's heart. Because anger is designed to energize our passion to destroy sin the sin that is going on that oppresses those around us. So uh, it's an interesting question. If you're somebody who doesn't deal with anger a lot, you may want to ask yourself, well, do I get angry enough? So, all right, what do you do with all this? Let me give you some practical steps. We'll round it up and um, finish here. Here's the biggest thing I can tell you, the biggest takeaway from the morning, and I hope that this is what you can take with you throughout your week and throughout the months ahead. Move toward God in your anger and wrestle with him. When you get angry, move in God's direction. Talk to him about it. That's what David does here in Psalm 109. He goes to God with his anger. Now, if David was king at this time, he would have had the ability to go and kill whoever it was that was accusing him. Whoever his accusers were, he could have went and finished them. And I will point out to you that David doesn't do that. David doesn't go and destroy these people. He doesn't take it into his own hands. What we're looking at here is a picture of his conversation with God. So he's taking it to God and wrestling with him over this anger that he has. A couple of steps for you. What do I do if I get angry? Well, stop. Talk to God about it. That's the first thing you should do. Stop, talk to God about your anger. Where's the, where's the source of this anger coming from? Next one is be still. Psalm forty-six, ten, and Psalm 37, verse 7, give us this picture that we are supposed to be still and calm before God. So when we take time, when we're angry and we take time to step back, be still before God, listen to him, calm our hearts, it's going to help us acclimate whether or not our anger is righteous anger or it's unrighteous anger. And this is a step that we don't take because we're in such a hurry to get things done or to deal with it, or maybe we don't even want to go to God because God might tell us that our anger is unrighteous, so we don't do it. But to actually stop and be still and say, God, help me deal with this. What I'm feeling, I'm really angry, but is it righteous anger or unrighteous anger? Is this about me or is this about you? And I think that will be really helpful to us. The next one is wait. We, we often, when we get angry, we often act out. I said in the beginning, a lot of people have ended up in prison because their anger, in the moment, they made a decision. They acted out and responded in their anger with Vengeance. And God clearly tells us in the book of Romans chapter 12 that vengeance belongs to him. What David is saying, as I pointed out, is David's not going to seek vengeance on his own. He's going to God and saying, God, may your vengeance happen. But he's not doing it. And I would ask you the question, does God answer David's prayer? We don't know. We don't know if, if if God this is a conversation that David's having with God, but we don't know that God did all the things, and I would suggest that God probably doesn't do all the things that He's asking that David's asking him to do here. The last thing is just ponder. Psalm 4, verse 4, you can write that down if you want. Ponder. Search your heart. What's your desire? What's, what's your desire when you get angry? And ask the Lord the question have I sinned in this? Like, is this desire sinful? So if you're an angry person and there's a desire to control something, you need to ask yourself, is what I'm doing, is my desire to control everybody around me, is that really of God and how am I sitting in that and how am I hurting the relationships around me? So talk to God about your motives. What's your motivation? What's driving your heart? Is it selfishness or righteousness? Is it your name or is it his name? Righteous anger does a couple things close with this. I didn't, give, I didn't put a slide together for this and I'll, I'll, I'll share it slowly so if you want to write it down you can. Righteous anger the intent of righteous anger is always to warn. You think about Jesus when he would get angry. I'm going to talk about him in a second but when he would get angry he would get angry he would warn people that what they're doing is sinful. It's, it's a warning when you get angry you're warning someone about what they're doing. Uh, the next thing that righteous anger does is it invites change. It doesn't force change it invites change. That's a very important distinction. Righteous anger invites change. It doesn't force change. Unrighteous anger always forces change. It's either going to be my way or there's going to be hell to pay. That's the way it is. But righteous anger just invites change and steps back and allows God to work. And the last one is pushes towards redemption. Righteous anger always pushes towards redemption. Towards the grace of God, towards the mercy of God, towards restoring whatever it is that might be broken or might cause the anger. So I said I'll, I'll close with talking about Jesus here because as you look at the life of Christ, uh, he gives us a great picture, a model of how to live. And he, he displays righteous anger in a way that helps us to understand, all right, when is it okay to be angry and when is it not? Um, the example when we talk about Jesus is we always use him going into the temple and flipping over the tables. Well, I want to share a different one with you this morning. It comes out of Mark chapter 3. If you want to look at that, you can write it down. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, uh, Jesus gets angry. And what's happening in this moment, in this, this vignette, if you will, or, or story, is that Jesus has come into the, the temple and the religious leaders of the day, the ones that God has put in place to shepherd his people, Are there and they are there with the purpose of trying to catch Jesus in a lie. Or they want to try to catch him in a way to to get at him. And so they are there trying to set this trap for him. And there's a man there that has a disabled arm. We don't know exactly what the disability is in his arm, but it is clearly a deformity. And he has this deformity and the, the religious leaders are watching Jesus closely because the day that he's there is a Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, on a Saturday, you weren't supposed to do any work. It was in the law. But these religious leaders had added to that. They had made rules that Jesus was like, I don't follow those rules because you've added them. They're added on to what God has told you to do. They're not exactly what God said. So the, the leaders would twist things to, to make themselves look good. And... So they're watching Jesus closely and Jesus asks them a question. He says, is the Sabbath day for doing good or for doing evil? And they won't answer his question because they, want, they know that Jesus is a God of compassion and they're pretty sure that he's going to heal this man. And when they don't answer him, Jesus says, verse 5, he, gets, he looks at them angrily. Well, why is he angry with them? He's angry with them because their selfish pride is all about them and it has nothing to do with the man who has this disability. They aren't concerned about him in the least, and they should be. So Jesus is angry at the oppression and the attitude and the pride, the prideful hearts of the Pharisees. That's what he's mad at. Now I'll give you another example of when uh, the time that I think that Jesus would be the most angry. And if I were in his shoes, this is when I would be mad. This is what I would be mad about. All right? He hasn't done anything that would warrant an arrest, but he gets arrested, he gets beaten, He gets mocked, he has his beard ripped out, he has a crown of thorns put on his head, and then he's nailed to a cross in public display, and they mock him in front of everybody that's gathered there. And they say he's a criminal and a sinner and he deserves to die. And Jesus is in this moment, right? Jesus is up on the cross, and the very people that he came to save are there mocking him. They're making fun of him. They're ridiculing him. They're saying, if you're Jesus, if you're the Messiah, if you're the one who was to come, then get yourself down off the tree. And they laugh because he doesn't. But the reason Jesus doesn't, and the reason Jesus doesn't get mad, and his words stand out to me. Think about what Jesus says to those men that are laughing at him and mocking him and ridiculing him. If there was ever a time for anger to come out, that would be a time. And Jesus looks at those men and he says, Father... Please forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus looks on them with compassion because he knows they don't understand what it is they're doing. He also knows that he went to that cross to bear the wrath of God, the anger of God. Right? This You need to hear this. God gets angry. He's angry. He's been angry at the sins that I have committed. There's no doubt. But what happens to all that anger? Why when I end life do I know and have the assurance that I am going to go spend an eternity with God because I know that the anger towards my sin has been poured out on Jesus. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God, all the anger that God had towards sin, your sin, my sin, and the sins of those who were oppressing him and mocking him. And right at that moment, Jesus was bearing the weight of it. So is Jesus ang- or Is God angry with sin? Absolutely. But how much does he love you? So much that he came and paid the price for it. He bore the weight of it so that we don't have to. That's righteous anger, and it was being poured out on Jesus. And Jesus in that moment, it wasn't about him in that moment. It was about the, the, the glory of God the Father. It was what God wanted him to do. It was about saving you and me. And so when he went to the cross, and they were ridiculing him and mocking him, he didn't speak out against them because it wasn't about him so my question that I close with, and the question that we need to walk away from this morning with is, is it about me or is it about God's name? Is it about my name or is it about God's name? Is it about my reputation or is it about God's reputation? Because when we get angry at things that are about God's reputation, then that's righteous anger. When we're angry about things that are about our reputation, our comfort, typically that is unrighteous, selfish anger. And We want to be angry, but we want to be angry at the right things. You probably never thought you'd hear a pastor say that. You want to be angry. But you want to be angry in the way that God's angry, and then you want to do and deal with it the way that God has instructed us to deal with it, and that's to take it to him and remember that he is sovereign, he is Lord, he will have vengeance, and that we don't need to get it ourselves. Let me pray. Father God, I I thank you for Jesus Lord, as I think about the sinfulness in my own heart, the sins that I've committed, and Lord, how you would be just in pouring all your anger and wrath out on me, and yet you didn't because you loved me and you sent Jesus to to be the scapegoat, to be the one that stood in my place. And Lord, I will praise your name forever because I have been set free. And I pray that for all of us, that we would experience that, that we would feel that, that we would know that no matter what the sin is, no matter how dark, no matter how bad it's been, Lord, may we know that your grace and your mercy wins every time, and you are bigger and larger than that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk towards you. You're not an evil dictator in the sky. You're not waiting to, to punish us. If you wanted to do that, you would have done it already. But God, you have given a grace upon grace, and Lord, I pray for every person here that we would walk out. Lord, for the angry people in the room, those who are angry, Lord, will you rescue them in that? Lord, in my sinfulness, the things that I've been entrapped in from time to time, you have come and rescued me. And I pray for those who deal with anger. Lord, will you go and rescue them? Will you pull them out of that? Will you show them your kingdom? Will you help them to see that they're living for something bigger than just this world, just the possessions, just their tiny little kingdom that they're trying to build? Lord, will you relieve some of that anger? Will you heal the wounds that maybe that anger has stemmed from wounds from parents, uh, others, things that have been done to them? that they're angry about. Lord, will you meet them in that place? Lord, as we close in song, I pray that you would uh, fill our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.